Many mutual funds are about to whack unsuspecting shareholders with some hefty long-term and short-term capital gains distributions. That's even if you didn't sell shares of your fund. What's worse, that's even if your fund is down big on the year. In some cases, these distributions could be as much as 10% of the value of the fund. If you own such funds in a taxable account, then depending on your tax bracket, you might be in for a nasty surprise when 1099s are issued early next year. Don't be caught off guard. Stay tuned as the RLS boys discuss when, why, and how to be tax smart about owning mutual funds right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, here with Eric Olson and Adrian Nicholson. I missed you guys last week. I'm ready to... Uh, be a part of the band again, so I'm happy to be back. Fantastic. We we beat up on you a little bit, Roshan, because you were you were talking uh, smack a couple of weeks before that about how good it was to be together, and then you you then abandoned us. So we felt a little we felt a little lonely, but we we got through it. We did get through it. I'm glad yeah, you did. I'm tough. here. <laughs> I, I'm here. Well, we're, I'm glad, back. we're glad you're back. <laughs> no, and I, I'm I'm happy to be back. We've got a great uh, topic today. Uh, we're talking about tax avoidance with mutual funds or managing mutual funds tax efficiently. Um, uh, Eric, why don't you kick it off for us? Right. Well, thank you. So as you, many of our clients understand, the world of investing has been made greatly more simple than it once was by the introduction of various tools that will allow professionals to bundle different selections that they make into a single tool. Then you're able with relatively few dollars to have exposure in some cases to hundreds, if not thousands of different positions without having to go out and individually pick up every single one of those tiny positions or, or be preoccupied with maybe how one or the other of them is, is working. You just get to see the collective result of all of them. One of those, in fact, the, the main tool that we use for that is mutual funds. There's also closed end funds. There's exchange traded funds, but the mutual fund, while, for all its advantages, does have one uh, potential disadvantage from the tax standpoint, and that is when you use mutual funds in a taxable account, they have a property that the least exchange-traded funds and direct ownership of stocks does not have, and that is that toward the end of the year, not in every year, but toward the end of the year, mutual funds will announce, hey, owners, shareholders, Good news, some bad news. Uh, you had some capital gains. That's the good news. Bad news is we're going to distribute some of those. And you're sitting there going, wait a second. I, I'm not selling. Why am I going to get hit with a, a capital gains distribution? It's, that's not fair. And then you wind up getting at the end of the year then a 1099 and, uh, and saying, man, that really, that, really, that really blows my mind because 2022 was a year I was down, and now I'm getting hit with a tax bill for this distribution that came towards the end of the year. We want to help you today avoid that tax bill. Yeah, and in particular, down years like this, 
it, it's just a tough pill to swallow. On top of that, some of those gains, you could, in theory, buy the fund last month and get this taxable distribution for the gain now, and you weren't around for these gains. You just bought it last month. So it definitely is a good, good thing to, to manage. Adrian's got a great list uh, to start us off on how to make sure your mutual fund holdings are tax efficient. So Adrian, let's start with your list. Yes, thanks, Roshan. I have five main points for this topic today, and I'll just jump right into it. The first one is holding these mutual funds for the long term. And this is a really interesting point that I just wanted to discuss for both of you because, again, there are big implications if you hold this for a mutual fund for a year or shorter for the year. And if it's more than a year, you're facing a capital gains tax. But if it's shorter than that, it'll be taxed at your ordinary income. So this does depend on what tax bracket you are in, but the time frame of when you're holding the mutual fund is a, is a good place for people to consider. And what, do you, what are your guys' uh, thoughts on this one to start out? Well, Roshan, I, I've got a thought. Uh, so Adrian, here, I would say, first of all, I definitely agree that if, if your portfolio um, or your investment approach and your philosophy includes thinking about the tax element, and certainly in a taxable account, it should. Yes, all else being equal, and that's a critical caveat here. All else being equal, you would prefer to hold something beyond that 365th day, so that any gains that you received from selling it would be taxed at the long-term rate for most people, either zero or fifteen percent rather than at their ordinary income tax rate. But in this particular case, I would say the there are times when you may want to say, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. Let's say, let's take the example of, let's say you're down in this position. If you're down in the position, then holding for the long-term and, and waiting until such a point in time that you would have your loss turned from a short-term capital loss to a long-term capital loss isn't necessarily a win for you. But uh, so on that basis, you might say, because I'm going to be confronted with this potential uh, short-term capital gains distribution and or a long-term capital gains distribution, I want to get out before the day they measure whether I'm an owner. We call that the record date. I want out before that date. So I don't get hit with that. But aside from that caveat, then Adrian, for sure, I agree with you. It's so much gentler to get the capital gains tax rate than the ordinary income tax rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point, Eric. I mean, like you said, it just seems double painful if you're down on a position for the year (laughs) and then you're going to get hit with a tax bill with it as well. It feels like you're getting beat up on, on both fronts. So thanks for making that clarification and those points. So that was Really good. What do you think, Roshan? Yeah, actually, that's what I was going to add on to something similar. One, um, as we talked about those distributions, remember, even if you're holding the fund for the long term, it's possible to get a short term gain distribution because the fund is buying and selling stuff within the portfolio. So that won't completely solve that uh, that problem. That's where mutual funds are are a little less um, tax efficient. But as a as a general investment rule holding things for the long term especially something you 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 like for the long term i think that's a good move as we always share with our listeners too we're we're trying to help you become better investors better planners better at managing your overall financial household 
But these aren't uh, recommendations. These are things that we encourage you to think about when making the decisions you're making, encourage you to discuss with your financial professional. And if you need help, we're, we're there for you as well. Feel free to reach out, reach out to us. But Adrian, your first point of holding for the long term, in general, I think that's a good move. But as Eric pointed out, as I just mentioned, there are situations where it's worth evaluating uh, before you hit that one-year mark where it switches from short-term to long. Yeah, exactly. And you touched on my second point as well, Roshan. I think you were referring to portfolio turnover. And that's the second thing I want to talk to you guys about today as well is when you're investing in a mutual fund, it's sometimes very beneficial to look at the turnover rate, how much buying and selling is going on in the mutual fund, because that buying and selling flows through to the investor. And there can be sometimes very serious tax consequences depending on the type of mutual fund it is. Yeah, agree. So let's talk about turnover. Turnover is when you're buying and selling within the portfolio. So for example, let's just say a, stock, a, a mutual fund has 100 stocks on January 1st. It's got a 10% turnover rate. Well, that means at the end of the year, it's got 90 of the same stocks and 10 different stocks in general. 10% would be actually a pretty good, a pretty low turnover rate for most mutual funds. You will, I have definitely seen funds that have been well over one in 200% in turnover. So turnover is definitely less tax efficient. So Adrian, as you said, looking for low turnover is a good, a good move. Second, it gives you an insight of, of what's happening within the fund to the point, are these long-term investors or are these traders? Third, it'll give you an insight into, uh, um, as Adrian mentioned, low, this is lower tax efficient, but it also would be higher cost. Because guess who's paying for the transaction costs? You are as the owner of the mutual fund. So the more they're trading, the more, co- more, more you're paying for those transaction costs as well. Agree with the general point again, and then say there's a caveat. <laughs> so, <Always>. it, <laughs> so what you're looking at as an owner of one of these mutual funds is a combination of factors and how they all sum up to the total after-tax return that you receive. So if their strategy has a high degree of activity within it and a high degree of therefore high degree of turnover it may be i'm not saying that it is but it may be that they're actually quite effective in knowing when to dispose of something and replace it with something else and that on balance that has contributed to their overall compound returns to a sufficient extent to to offset both the trading costs that you talked about roshan also potentially another element called slippage when you're trading across a spread, perhaps in less liquid um, instruments that you're buying or selling, as well as the the tax consequence. So I, I think you have to look at, you have to, it is important to look at the turnover and it is important to ask all else being equal, is that turnover really serving me well? But if you see that on balance, they, they've been able to manage risk more effectively or they've been able to add to their overall compound returns more effectively, or on an, on a risk a volatility adjusted basis, they've been able to do pretty well. Then you may say, you know what, I can live with that. It's justifiable because they're they're solving other problems with that turnover. I will say one more thing about that, which is in some cases, if they're very uh, judicious about which positions they sell and and emphasize those positions that are down at the time they sell them. Then what they're doing is taking those capital losses, whether they're short-term or long-term, putting those into their capital loss piggy bank 
and saving those to offset future uh, capital gains, thereby diminishing the amount of capital gains distributions that the shareholders would otherwise suffer. Not that that's... um, Those are definitely good points to evaluate with the fund. I'm not saying saying, um, that they aren't. Uh, from a tax efficiency perspective, though, high turnover is probably not a good thing. From a cost perspective, it's probably not a good thing. But as you said, if your costs are high, but your performance is way higher, that's a, that's a, a trade I'd be more than open to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the underlying investment is extremely important. Sometimes you just can't let taxes be the main drivers of your decision. You really just got to look at all the components of the mutual fund. And- weigh that when it comes to your decision making so yes and i'll just hasten to add that we keep although we said at the outset let's just emphasize again we're talking about this in the context of investing in a taxable account so if you're doing this in an ira or you're doing this in a roth or a 401k then while the cost factor certainly makes a difference and the performance factor certainly makes a difference the tax consequence at this stage at least makes no difference exactly eric you're right on track this is going to lead me into my third point on wow. where you're purchasing the mutual funds. All right. So Lo- I, what a lead in. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you. And Roshan led me into another one. So you both are practically reading my mind on this podcast <laughs> and I really like it. So where you're purchasing your mutual funds is just extremely important. Like Eric mentioned, are you buying this in a taxable account? Are you purchasing this in a 401k, a Roth account? Where you're purchasing your mutual funds has very significant tax consequences in the future, like you just discussed, Eric. So that's a really great way that you led us into this one. Yeah, well, the, you're you're so right. So I thought first you were going to talk about the store, the which which mutual fund store are you going to? Um, no pun intended. The <laughs> that's a, that's a good point, Roshan. I don't know. I sort of already commented on this, so I don't I don't want to just repeat myself. Adrian, you just want to let the point stand, or do you do you have further things to say about it? Uh, yeah, I'm curious to think what you think about it, Roshan. When I say where, I'm really specifically referring to the type of account you're owning your mutual fund in. Yeah, I think it's really important to to consider where it's located. We've talked about this before on previous episodes where we talked about asset location, you know, what investment to have where from a tax perspective. So, uh, Adrian, as you're saying. And uh, just reviewing that topic from before, uh, if you've got a taxable account, you've really got to consider what we're describing. Then you've got a tax deferred account like a traditional IRA or a 401k, TSP, 403b. Those are accounts where your money goes in pre-tax, so you have not paid taxes on those dollars. They grow tax deferred, and when you pull them out, they're fully taxable at ordinary income. The other bucket is the tax-free bucket, like the Roth IRA. The money's gone in after tax. Every year that it's in there, uh, you're not paying taxes. And then when you take it out, it's tax-free. So when you're looking at this, when we were having that debate earlier of um, of a high turnover fund, uh, if, if it was in your Roth IRA and you had a high turnover fund that was not tax efficient and high cost, but the performance was through the roof, that that'd be a better place to have that in the Roth IRA than having it in a taxable account because then you're paying taxes on all that turnover that in this case we're we're saying is helping lead to the outperformance. 
And since we're on this subject of, of asset location, as opposed to, um, you know, the, the gains distribution in the more narrow sense, I, I'll also say uh, it, it makes sense to think about this same question, not just from the gains distribution, but from income distribution. That's just the routine income distribution that a fund or for that matter, an exchange traded fund uh, may make. So for that reason, oftentimes, not always, and I just want to emphasize the entire conversation we're having today, uh, I don't want anyone listening today to take this as gospel for you and it applies in every single circumstance. These are principles. Don't Please don't treat these as recommendations. Talk with your advisor. If you don't have an advisor, certainly reach out to us and we'll have this conversation. But the um, I would say on balance, if you had the choice of taking your moderately allocated portfolio and putting the income generating components into your IRA and then the, the, the uh, speedy growing ones in your Roth IRA and then the most tax efficient ones in your taxable account, you, you would probably in the long run be well served by that approach. Not always, but often. In fact, gentlemen, I mentioned on the, our podcast many times, one of the tools that I use is a software program called Income Solver. And I run this over and over and over with clients. And one of the things that's so interesting is sometimes it's the Roth conversion that's making a big difference. Sometimes it's the withdrawal strategy that's making the big difference. But in other cases, it's the, this precise question that you're addressing right now, Adrian, which is asset location. That is the thing that moves the needle the most on the, the pr- ultimate performance on an after-tax basis of one portfolio approach versus another. So it is, it is, uh, it does have potentially a, a big capacity to move the needle on your ability to derive the benefit from your portfolio over time. Mm, I agree. It's a very important building block when it comes to, to investing. And the whole reason why I was emphasizing the whole point on where you're purchasing your mutual fund, which led Eric to his pun on going to the mutual fund store and buying it, is for my next point. When are you buying your mutual fund is something mm. really important where you should consider looking at purchasing your mutual fund granted on where their ex-dividend date is because you can be caught with a bill when you buy your mutual fund recently and having to pay the distributions on it when you weren't in that stock for, let's just say, a couple months out. So when and where you buy your mutual funds are extremely important. So where do you guys want to lead the discussion here on this on when you're buying your mutual fund. I'll like hey, show my you... spreadsheet if you'd like. Yeah, well, I, I do want to come back to that because I think the conversation we just had about uh, tax and allocation goes, goes directly in that. But Adrian, when you were saying when you're buying your mutual fund, are you talking about timing of the purchase with distributions or what did you have in mind? That's exactly at timing the distributions because the important thing that people might look at when they research this topic on efficiency for mutual fund is they could see these uh, terms called ex-dividend date, record date. So this leads into my whole point on when buying mutual funds, you have to consider these, these events that happen with these mutual funds. Definitely makes a lot of sense. So, uh, uh, and it'll be a good preview for the spreadsheet Eric's about to share. But mutual funds, we've we've mentioned this a few times. They'll have distributions. Their distributions can be short-term capital gains, long-term capital gains, and if you're looking at the um, uh, 
uh, if you're looking at when you can get buying the mutual fund, it's worth considering those. Now, it's not necessarily something like where you want to wait a whole year, but if you're looking at this time of year in the fourth quarter and saying, hey, I want to buy a mutual fund, it might be worth waiting till these these distributions have happened already. Um, Eric, why don't you share that spreadsheet right now? Sure. So, so what we're looking at is a spreadsheet that I uh, built using some data and credit where credit is due. This was assembled by BlackRock, and they have a tool for advisors, which allows advisors to see relatively quickly which positions are uh, anticipated to generate a long-term or a short-term capital gain and on what date and of what magnitude. And so with that information in hand, then you're able to ascertain whether or not this is a position that A, if you own it, you might not want to own it uh, for the period at least, or at least not be an owner on the date known as the record date, so that you therefore would not be uh, among those that incur this distribution. But it also, in addition to that first choice of not owning it by that date, selling what you own, you also might use this to time the purchase. If you're saying, I really want it, let's use the, the one on the top of this list. This is the MFS International Intrinsic Value uh, Asset uh, Share Class A. And uh, in this particular case, uh, if you're the, the day before the record date is December 5th of 2022. As we're recording this show today, that's 20 days away. And so if you were to be an owner uh, on the record date, which is the, the day following, then, in other words, December 6th, then you would be on the hook to, be, to participate in the distribution. What's the cost of it from a tax standpoint? Well, it depends on what bracket you're in. In this case, we're assuming that you're in the bracket that is at the highest marginal income tax bracket and therefore also in the highest capital gains tax bracket. So in this case, 37% if it's an ordinary income or short-term distribution, 23.8 with the surcharges if you're on, on uh, receiving a long-term capital gain. And in this particular case, for every $10,000 that you own of this fund, you would have a tax impact in that bracket of about $250. Now, you can see the second one in the list here is the Parnassus Core Equity Investor Fund. It is almost in that same tier of $250. It was $243. But Eric, let me interrupt you for a second. I feel like mm -hmm. this is the perfect time for our regular disclaimer. We're not for or against any of these funds out there. <laughs> We're not saying to buy or to sell them. This is just an intellectual exercise uh, on capital gains distributions and what, what giving you real-life cost figures. So uh, now, please continue. Sorry oh, for the uh, no. interruption. Oh, no, that was perfect. I'm so glad you did. Yeah, there's neither an endorsement nor a denouncement. This is just an observation about what's, what's happening around us. Well, today, if you're an owner of that fund, as of today, the 16th of November, and if you're listening to this, of course, we're a few days down the pike, but um, then you're on the hook for that, that distribution. And as a result, if you were in that highest bracket, that would cost you $243. Now multiply that up. Let's say it's a $100,000 position you have. Okay, now it's a $2,430 tax impact for you. 
So the point here, coming back to what that what you had said, Adrian, is that what we want to look at is whether to in terms of exiting a position you already own or in terms of uh, waiting to until the record date has passed before you make your purchase of that, then just know what is the date that you you don't want to be um, an owner yet or an owner anymore, and then time your purchase uh, if you're getting in after that fact. Yeah, I think this will is definitely something worth thinking about for everyone out there. If you're th- if you're considering buying a fund, just out of curiosity, I, I pulled up performance of the top couple names on the list. Uh, they're they're down, you know, seventeen, twenty, and twenty two percent in the couple that I pulled, and it's just the point that all right, I'm down twenty two percent. All of a sudden, I'm getting another two percent hit to my NAV due to this distribution due to the due to the taxes. So uh, actually, well, let's clarify that you're, it's a, the, the decline is actually about a 10% distribution. The tax ramification from that is the $250. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at. Cause you can okay. reinvest that, right? So that, yes. that full decline, you're mm-hmm. not, you're not necessarily feeling the, that's not necessarily pain. That's a distribution. The pain mm-hmm. point is, um, uh, is, um, Paying the tax. Paying the tax. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if you're down you know, 20 plus percent, 20 percent, you then have this tax bill, which causes the overall performance to be down another two and a half. That's not something you're going to be happy about. Mm-hmm. So, gentlemen, I think this is a great topic that we covered today. Uh, we're always talking about tax efficiency. We've talked about it in the past. Other areas that you can look at investing to, like ETFs and stocks from a tax efficiency perspective. The points we touched on um, were holding for the long term, low turnover, asset location, you know, where the funds are and which account type, uh, when to buy with these distributions uh, considered, when to sell with these distributions uh, being considered as well. What's interesting as we were preparing, we had a little bit of a debate here how our first point of hold for the long term. Our last point of of uh, avoiding and possibly selling, they kind of go counter to one another. Uh, that to me shows a couple things. One is these are all data points to look at. They aren't rules. They're just things to look at when making these decisions. And two, some of these things I think would line up. A low turnover fund, which was uh, Adrian, your second point, is unlikely to have a huge distribution, but not impossible, right? It could mm-hmm. it could be there. So if you're buying now, you find a good fund you like, it checks all the boxes, and you look at the distribution date, you might say, well, let's just wait a week to buy so I don't have to deal with the tax hit. And I think we said this, but I want to just be doubly sure that we do say this if we haven't. And that is that if you are way, way up in this position in a mutual fund that is about to make one of these distributions. Yes. While on the one hand, the distribution itself isn't welcome and the tax cost isn't welcome. It may be, it may make perfect sense for you to just say, I'm just going to take and and take that hit and absorb that hit because my other choice is to exit the position. And if I do that, I will then take all of these unrealized capital gains that I've built up over potentially years and years. And then, boom, I, those land in my lap right now. That th- It might be that just that decision just doesn't add up for you just yet. 
And so on that basis, you may say, I know it's coming. I'm going to have to take it because I, I need to stay put in this position for a while. So there's, that might be a timing decision itself. It might be that you can foresee in the near term, a year or two out, you'll be in a lower marginal income tax bracket. And then, then maybe at that point in time, your uh, capital gains will be in the zero tax rate, long-term capital gains. You might want to just wait until they're at the zero level and then, and then take the hit. So there's lots and lots of individual circumstances where are the, the broad counsel to be mindful about these distributions is, is just that. It's counsel to be mindful, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uniformly you should, um, you should sell before that date is, is reached. You actually bring up another thing that's very important, too, of, uh, which is how uh, circumstances, your circumstances, can and do change, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm actually working with a client right now, and we're selling some stock they've had for years. They're now retired from a higher high income. So they're able to, if we plan things correctly, get zero capital gains on some of these sales. So mm-hmm. you, when you're making these decisions, we talked about things to look at within the mutual fund. Another important point is look at your situation and, and how it may be changing in the future when making some of these decisions. You know, even in the first case of the, the first two funds that we looked at, since those are overwhelmingly, if not exclusively, long-term capital gains, if you were in the lowest you know, the lower tiers on the marginal income tax bracket that the currently the 10 or the 12, your long-term capital gains tax rate is zero. So all of those long-term capital gains then to you, assuming they don't push you into a higher bracket, to you, actually, they are a zero cost tax event. So in in that sense, yes, this is very particular uh, advice. And it is, most of what we have said here is assuming that you're, you're not right now enjoying the the privilege of zero percent long-term capital gains but uh, but if you are then you would definitely want to approach this decision differently yeah uh, for sure for sure gentlemen do you have anything anything to add not on this topic well we'll be back next week uh everyone with another great topic this has been the retirement lifestyle show please like subscribe give us five stars tell your friends and family and we look forward to sharing new information with you next week Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through Arate Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question, or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through Arte Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor, and securities through Arte Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, 
SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw in Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library, and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.